everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Romero Records Podcast. We're going to start off by giving you some of our sponsors. First off, we've got the Coffee Ride. The Coffee Ride makes amazing coffee. I'm telling you, they've got ingredients from all over the place. Exotic flavors, flavors, flavor, flavors, such as Ethiopian blends with strawberry, white grape, creamsicle, and jasmine. It's crazy. Their bags are biodegradable. Their farmers are paid well and local. And one goal is to be able to ride their coffee to each home in order to avoid the use of gasoline or cars in general. It's crazy. Do us all a favor and order from this local company at thecoffeeride.com and receive 20% at checkout with the code Romero. That's R-O-M-E-R-A. We're also brought to you by Simper Savage. Simper Savage has done the work for you when it comes to making a salad dressing. Now, when I spoke to the owner of Simper Savage, he described to me that he wanted to have a salad dressing with no sugar, none of those added preservatives, none of that extra crap. Well, guess what? He is delivered. Simper Savage has none of those added sugars, none of that extra crap, none of that extra salt, those preservatives, none of that. This goes great as marinating meat. It goes great as marinating your veggies. Is that a thing? Do you marinate the veggies or is it just a dressing? Anyways, put Simper Savage on everything. It's like hot sauce. You know, you put hot sauce on everything. Do the same thing with Simper Savage dressing. It's amazing. Use code Romero Records at checkout at SimperSavage.com. That is S-E-M-P-E-R-S-A-V-A-G-E.com. We're also brought to you by FNX. Yes, FNX. They are formulated by athletes for athletes. You can expect to fill your shelves with high-quality supplements. Dude, FNX has CBD oil, BCAs, creatine, protein. You can get it all at fnxfit.com. Use code SUPA, not super, SUPA, S-U-P-A-H-E-N-D-O, 15 to get 15% off your order at checkout. Superhendo 15. Don't forget that every item purchased, that's a gallon of water. Think about this. They donate a gallon of water. I, I was too excited to, to finish my sentence, but they donate a gallon of water for every item purchased. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So yeah, go check out fnxfit.com. We're also brought to you by Magic Spoon. Now, at first I was really skeptical about Magic Spoon. Their cereal is pretty good. All right, so check this out. You know when you really want a bowl of cereal, but you feel kind of bad about eating it, basically? Well, Magic Spoon is a protein-packed cereal. Now, it's got zero grains, zero sugars, and three net carbs. Now, go ahead and do the Simper Savage and marinate on that, all right? So, everybody knows that they want to have cereal late at night when you're about to go to bed. Add a little protein to that. And how about zero carbs and zero sugars? Get some magic spoon in your life. Use code Hendo Saves. That's H-E-N-D-O-S-A-V-E-S. Hendo Saves. And you're going to get a good little discount at magicspoon.com. Welcome to Rare Records Podcast. Today we have on. Uh, my name is Crockett Hall. How's it going? Man, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So, um, yeah, this has been a roller coaster trying it to get has, you all. <laughs> when, when did we first? 
I know it's been we, months. There was like last week, but then there was also a time before that we tried to, yeah. to book, I believe, if if I remember right. I, I was racking my brain this morning trying to figure out when we had first scheduled this. Because I had first contacted you because of, I was just trying to get into some studios around here. Because yeah. I, I moved here April of 2019. Mm-hmm. So I was just trying to like just show my face in like studios and get my name into the music. Yeah industry around here and so i was like yeah can i just come in and like work on some songs for free or like set stuff up whatever y'all need yeah and uh you're like we don't have that kind of thing but you um you try to get me in contact with um i make mad beats yeah he was looking for uh he was looking for interns at that moment that's right time. yeah yeah he he um we actually i actually contacted him to get on a podcast but he said he's been like going through a lot of stuff and isn't trying yeah. to do like interviews or anything like that right yeah, now. Yeah, I know so. he's had a busy year. Um, I mean, we've all had quite a hell of a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of busy, so you said you got done with the session this morning? Yeah, I was working. I worked from 6.30 last night until I got home this morning at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> uh, that is crazy. Yeah, I've been working. So to my friend and collaborator, Mick Parrish, uh, he has a record that we started on back in January and we didn't even realize at the time that we were making a record. It was just a song he had written. And then once the pandemic started, I had so much more free time on my hand at the beginning of it that we just started taking more of that time towards, he, he was writing a bunch of songs. So we started putting those together and we are about, halfway there now we've been Hmm. working on it um excuse me uh we've been working on it off and on because sessions like that where i get him in are usually you know it really just depends on how much free time i have yeah um because those sessions are ones where i really use it to um sorry i'm gonna clear my throat Those sessions with uh, Mick are sessions where I really use that as an opportunity to try out weird and interesting mic placement. Since he lives here in town, uh, it makes it really easy. There's not as much of a pressure as there usually would be for what I do over at Sun Studio to get it done that night. Because mm. most of the clients that come through uh, during a normal year at Sun are coming from all around the world. So they're usually only there for, I think, the most... You know, the most we've done with anybody, we had this band from Germany that came and did five nights um, back in 2016, 20, or no, 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 2017 maybe. So if they're doing five nights, are they trying to cram it like what you just did last night or do they? Sort of. Um, so the interesting thing about Sun Studio is it's, it's primarily set up to do tours during the day. So any okay. session you book there, uh, if you do a run of consecutive nights or if you don't even, at the end of the night, the engineer has to break down everything and put it back uh, where it goes so that the next morning when they come in to do the tours, there's space for the tourists to come in and see the studio. Oh. All the mics have to be put away. Amps have to be put back where they go. So it's kind of a very zen thing because um, no matter how – chaotic and messy you know the setup gets throughout the night at the end of the night you're always breaking it back down to put it (laughs) away and i've always i have bands or or people that will often 
you know, they'll see me starting to wrap cables and they'll want to help. And I'm always like, no, no, this is my moment. <laughs> this is this is my moment of zen. Yeah. We've accomplished something. We've done something. And also, like, I know where all this stuff goes. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's not even like, it's just easier. I, I remember I had this band come from uh, from Canada once and, and true stereotypical trademark Canadian fashion, just the nicest people. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they were they were wrapping cables, and they wrapped sixteen cables and then set them down right on the stool, and none of them were like tied. So they just all like I went to go put them away, and they all just got tangled. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's not a big deal. It's, it's, it really that stuff doesn't stress me out. Um, but it's just it's an example yeah. of like you. I appreciate the offer and genuine willingness of someone who but. sees <laughs> that I'm like in the middle of doing what looks like a mountain of work, which it really only takes like I can. It takes longer to set the room up than it does to break it down. Mm. I mean that's pretty obvious, I would imagine, because for setup you're really trying to dial in the placement of your microphones, you know, what mic mics are you wanting to use? Yeah. Have I, you know, there's no isolation rooms. Have you ever been to Sun? I have. Oh man, you got to come through. I uh, <laughs> yeah, you're more than welcome to. Um it's it's just this old studio. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it's I did a little research. Um I think uh, notorious for Elvis being there, right? Yes, yeah. That's what pr I would say brings in most of the tourists from around the world. And when I first started working there, I was always way more interested in stacks than I was Sun because I've mm. always been way more into like Otis Redding. I think he's a much more interesting and entertaining performer than Elvis personally. Um, and I had played with some stacks players before I started working at Sun, um, gotten to know some of the people over there. So I was really interested in stacks. And when I started working at Sun, I was like, how am I going to make the story of Elvis interesting? Like, I, mean, <laughs> I grew up here in Memphis. And when you're from here, you kind of like get jaded by that story mm. because it's so much of what the rest of the world seems to know about the city of Memphis. Yeah. And when you come from a place like this and you see all these incredible bands that have in their own ways changed music history but don't necessarily get as much credit as someone like Elvis does. Yeah. Bands like uh, a band called Big Star that had a big, big influence on R.E.M. and a number of other bands. They were cutting Ardent back in the 70s. Uh, they were a, right, a white rock and roll band that was on the Stax record label, and Stax really wasn't sure what to do with them because hmm. you know so everything Stax is putting out at that moment in time is primarily soul, R&B, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and so Big Star kind of like just fell by the wayside, and people were finding their record in the bargain bin all like all across the country and just falling in love with it. Hmm. Um, they didn't really get any success until years later. And even to this day, there's still not a lot of people who know about Big Star, um, even though they they helped usher in what's considered and called power pop. So, you know, you've heard bands like Weezer. Yeah. Um, that's a, it, They owe a lot of that sound and credit to bands like Big Star. Then you've got uh, a band like Jay Retard, who uh, very punk-oriented, uh, had a had a big moment of success and then, you know, tragically died back in, I, I want to say 2010, 2011, maybe even earlier than that. Um, bands like the Oblivions that would have a big impact on, I mean, if you go listen to Oblivions records, it sounds like the White Stripes, you know, oh. had a huge impact on Jack <laughs> yeah. White. So you see all these awesome bands that have, have changed the sound of where music went, but just nobody really knows, like they know yeah. all this. So 
I was struggling to figure out how am I going to make this interesting when <laughs> I'm not really as interested in Elvis as when I started working there. What was really interesting to me was the idea that I could work in the studio and like, you know, uh, learn more about that process. Cause I, I had started as a, like I'd been in bands, had worked in studios, um, had, but, but worked in studios on the other side of the glass where you're in the band, you yeah. know, so you see the process, you, you know, the terminology, um, you see how everything is supposed to unfold, but I didn't come from a background of engineering. Um, that is all stuff that I learned under, uh, a guy named Plez Hampton, who was the head engineer there. Um, and the way they do it at Sun, because they don't do interns, what they do is when we get busy, we they hire tour guides. And most of the tour guides that work there, uh, they just do the tour side and don't do the recording. And when I started, I was way more interested in how do I get into the studio? So I asked my friend Tiffany Harmon, who had gotten me the job there, uh, and is a, a an incredible songwriter in her own right. I'll send you some stuff we cut we cut together there at Sun. Okay. Um, but I asked her like, who's so who's the engineer here? Like, what's the deal? And and she told me his Plez Hampton was his name. So I waited a few days, and then went up to Plez and was like, Hey, I would love to help you out in the studio. Um, let me know. Sa same thing you were saying to me. Yeah. Like, what, do I, what do I need to do? And he was. Uh, he was like, oh, man, you think you want to do it. Everybody comes to me and says they want to do it. And you know what? They never last because they wow. get tired of it. Um, and I knew when he said that I was in because I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, dude, I'm never going to get tired of this. Like, yeah. And I haven't. Like it's still like anything else can become a job, you know, where you can – it can become a chore at times, you know, the, not every time I've gotten to work with some really great people and some really talented local bands and people from around the world since I started there. But uh, there's also a lot of people that are, you know, just in there to make a novelty record, you know, yeah. just something that's a keepsake for them to take home. Sometimes those people are really good. Sometimes they're not, you know, mm -hmm. and then your job becomes, how can I still make this something that that person feels proud of, you know? Mm. Uh, because Sun doesn't have auto-tune. It doesn't have uh, – it's a very archaic studio. We've got, like, vintage mics, vintage preamps, vintage tape machines. And so you're trying to work with – in the confines of what is, by today's standards, severely outdated. Granted, most of the people who are coming in are looking for that sound. Yeah, you know, they want that, that sound. sound. Yeah. yeah. I actually cut their uh, – when I was 15, I opened up the phone book. Okay, so – my dad was a Church of Christ preacher down here, and it's super conservative, very religious church. And I had gotten interested in playing the guitar because of uh, because of Weezer. I okay. had their Blue Album, and and that is what got me into wanting to write songs. And so I had written some songs for this girl I was interested in in high school with my buddy Kyle Tobkin. And uh, we decided we wanted to go record them, so we opened the phone book. And I'm dating myself because that's <laughs> that's how you found where to go do things back then. <laughs> uh, and um, I called places like Easley McCain, which is a great studio, or at that time was a great studio in town where bands like the White Stripes had recorded, uh, 
Modest Mouse had cut there, Jeff Buckley, uh, a number of, of really incredible things had gone through Easley McCain. I didn't know that at the time when I reached out to call them, uh, but they were like $1,000 for a 10-hour day. I'm 15 years old. I can't think of why I would need a 10-hour day to cut <laughs> three songs. You know what? It takes me 10 minutes to play them. How much, how much time could it possibly take to record What do we do them, next? Right? Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, well, that seems like way out of my budget range. And so I'm just calling some places and uh, I see Sun and I'm thinking there's no way that that's like going to be in my price range. And at the time, Sun was uh, Sun was $75 an hour. And so we booked three hours, me and Kyle, and then went in there, recorded, and then I didn't set foot in the place again for 15 years. I thought that by recording there, my dad, who was a huge Elvis fan, um, I thought that would persuade him to see why, like, oh, see, it's cool if I do music that I can, I could do some pretty cool shit. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and uh, I thought that would persuade him. It didn't work. Uh, <laughs> but, but it made the place so much more special to me yeah. because, like, my history there is like I remember being there with my family, with Kyle, um, and those memories are really precious to me in a way that, like, you know, I, I'd started to talk a second ago about uh, how do I make this story of Elvis interesting when that's not really a character who he's fascinating and don't get me wrong. I, I do think there's a lot of interesting things about his story. I just do also think that I've all per, for me personally, I've always been more interested in who are the outliers? Who is Elvis listening to that was influencing him at son? Mm. And once you start to work there, you start to see there's all these incredible artists like uh, Roscoe Gordon who would, who would go on to have a huge impact on reggae and ska because when his music was broadcast down in New Orleans on a clear summer night, it would reach all the way to Jamaica, influencing a generation of artists there. And Sam Phillips, the guy who started Sun Studio, he always would call, he would say that Roscoe had his own thing called Roscoe's Rhythm, where the way he would play piano was just kind of like, you know, the, it kind of has that bubble that you okay. talk about in reggae music where it's kind of like a little bit on the ands or off time. Uh, then you've got, of course, Howlin' Wolf, who had recorded there. Uh, he would go on to, he was recording at the Memphis Recording Service because at the time, Sun was called the Memphis Recording Service, and Sun was not a thing yet. That's, that's what the record label would become. It was just a studio mm -hmm. when Sam first opened it. And so he was recording people like B.B. King, Rufus Thomas, uh, Howlin' Wolf, Roscoe Gordon, uh, Joe Hill Lewis, just a number of all the all of these black artists that are over recording or excuse me playing on Beale Street and didn't have a studio to go record in, and and then those songs are being funneled off to record labels like Chess Records up in Chicago or RPM Records, which is where BB King was being put out. Roscoe was actually there's a funny story about him. He didn't know that if you uh, if you're being put out by one record label that song can't be put out by a second record label. <laughs> and so he was selling his song to Chess and whoever w wanted to buy it. Oh, my god! Or re-recording it for other labels and then ended up getting himself into trouble with that. Oh, man. Um, but so there's so many incredible stories and characters of people that are the subjects I'm way more interested in. And that made the story a lot more fun to tell because then it doesn't become the story of Elvis, which I think Memphis has this, I don't know if problem is the right word, but this this tendency to make everything revolve how can we funnel <laughs> and shove more tourism into that 
And yeah. I think if we if we step back and look a little bit more at some of these outliers, yeah. you know, you're you're kind of almost in a sense uh, multi. You're diversifying what makes the city interesting. And I think there's a lot of people that are are making an effort to try and put that side of what Memphis is. That we're not just you know what you've heard of. People like I make Matt Beats with what he's doing with Unapologetic is really incredible. Um, because he's just got this collective, which mm -hmm. is what Sun was at its time of just these like-minded people coming together of just oddballs, misfits, uh, you know, vagabonds, just weirdos, you know, mm -hmm. getting together and trying to make something new and unique and that is true to them. And I think at its heart, that's what Memphis is about is mm -hmm. how can we do something that is ours and not Nashville's and not New Orleans and not any, like, how can we make our, you know, sound? So I, that, I that, that's something that, you know, I'm just thinking like, while you're talking about that, I'm trying to think of another city that is known for just like one person. And mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I don't think there's that many cities out there. I was just trying to think of like, I don't know, Atlanta or something. I don't think of one artist when I think of Atlanta. Yeah. I don't think of one artist. Who do when you I, think of when you think of Atlanta? Honestly, like right now, I just think of like all the hot rappers that yeah, are out right yeah. now. Dogs like from there, isn't Two Chains also from Atlanta? Two Chains is from Atlanta. Um, it, I mean, it's it, is there, Lil Uzi from Atlanta? No, Lil he's Yachty? from he's from Philadelphia. Okay, okay, Lil Yachty. I'm it's not sure like, where he's from at all. Yeah, I, I can't I can't think of that. I thought there was another. I I, I guess I, I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, like I mean, even. Even if you think about like old school, not old school, but like yeah. Ludacris and um, Jermaine Dupri yeah, and, yeah. and those people, they, they, I'm not going to say pioneered rap at that time, but they were at of the course, forefront. Outcast also. Yeah, yeah, Outcast. Yeah, yeah Big Boy, um, Andre 3000. Um, that that era of yeah. people, I'd say early 2000s, like they. They definitely pioneered, I would say, rap today. Like, oh, yeah, it, it transitioned into like the trap that they have now. Yeah, from, yeah. From like uh, like dim franchise boys. Yeah, like, they were a big movement. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a whole like movement. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that um, I think Memphis could definitely take advantage of as a culture. Like, I agree. Uh, yeah. They talk about like Memphis, like rap music, and then you have like the soul R and B. Mm -hmm culture like there's there's different cultures yep. within this one city like when i think of atlanta i think of like one type of like rap music right but when i right. think of memphis you've got you got your soul and r&b you've yeah. got your your hit rock music you've got your your rap music mm -hmm. like there's different cultures all in this one city it's like a melting pot oh, yeah. <laughs> and when you have all those things brushing up against each other that's where you end up getting i think even more you know, interesting sounds because, yeah. you know, like I might go see uh, weirdo from Memphis do a hip hop show and come away from that and think, oh man, like this was a really cool <laughs> idea, whether it's a song lyric that then sends me off on a spiral and you end up writing some singer songwriter singer songwritery folk music song yeah. that comes from some line that weirdo said or, uh, or, or people like pro, like I've been, Actually, one of the funny things that has happened to me in the last year is I started writing songs for this band called TV Yellow that is like this pop punk band that sounds like uh, a lot like music I would have been listening to when I was in my early 20s. Uh, stuff like if, if you listen to, um, what is a good example? 
just like any of the like any of the like indie emo music from the early 2000s. Um, but they had gone into Young Avenue, had written uh, 10 or 12 songs, had no lyrics, no vocals, just had all of these songs that were expertly produced, polished. They just needed songs on them so, or, or words on them. So I came through, wrote words for those, and that was the first time in my life where I had actually uh, – where I had actually written to music I had not birthed, you know, where mm. everything else I had ever <clears throat> written in my life, I had written from scratch, you know, it wasn't on somebody else's song. And did, I think we ended up with nine songs, wrote nine of those in a year, which was also the fastest I'd ever written. <laughs> Typically for me, I mean, songs can take, especially because often I am uh, writing them from scratch. You know, I've had songs that have taken a year, Two years. I just finished one for TV Yellow that was 10 years in the making. I'd started oh the lyrics. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know, dude. I'd started the lyrics 10 years ago, and it just had stuck in my head, this line I'd always liked. Holy smokes. And then I was listening to a track, and I was, like, trying to figure out where to write and go with it. I was like, I wonder if the cadence for that lyric would work on this song. And sure enough, it did. So that is finished it. it off. But so I'm not used cool. to, you know, usually for me it takes a while, but I'd written all these songs – um, and that led me to realize, well, I guess I can write pretty easily to stuff that I didn't write from scratch. So mm. my friend C Major, who is a producer over at Unapologetic, um, he and I had started doing this thing where I, I – my, my drummer moved to Nashville because he worked for Gibson Guitars as one of their managers. So when they had to downsize and leave Memphis, he left – and so he was gone, and my bass player was overseas touring with some band, and I got asked to do a show at, like, the Indie Film Fest or something like that with Unapologetic. And I was like, man, I don't want to get up there and just me and my acoustic guitar <laughs> play these when it's going to be mostly a hip-hop show. Yeah, yeah. And I had all these songs I'd been working on at Sun, so I was like, I asked C Major, I was like, can I give you the tracks and, like, you do them on your MPC and I'll just sing? And I, then I can actually like perform and like you'll hear what they sound like as a band. So I did that. It went well. So we started doing that at shows. If I didn't have the ability to easily get my band out, then me and C Major would do the show together. And that led me to think, well, shit, C Major, like I, I was at Dirty Socks one time watching them work and they uh, uh, Kid Maestro and C Major had spent like about an hour or two working on this beat. It was really interesting, really cool. And then uh, Mad, I make Mad Beats, walks into the room. And in the most diplomatic, like, like I don't, I, it was fascinating to watch. Basically walks in the room and, is, and says, essentially, okay, this is cool. Uh, where, who, who are we going to sell this to? Where do you guys see this going? Um, and they were like, well, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know where <laughs> we would take this, actually. He's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, this is not something I, I don't know where I could place this, where I could go with this. And I'm sitting there because whenever I'm invited into somebody else's studio environment to watch them work, I just – I'm a fly on the wall. It's all about, you know, observing and seeing 
how they work, you know, yeah. like uh, learning from their process. And I, w I was sitting there just kind of like with my jaw on the floor, like, dude, I would write all over this, you know. And, and it was also interesting to see, too, that there was no ego involved in any of this. It wasn't it wasn't you guys suck. It was just I'm not sure what we can do with this. Yeah. So why don't we table this and try something else? So they put it away, started on something else. And it was totally different from what they had worked on. It was really fascinating to see. But that made me think, I wonder how many beats like that C Major has sitting on a hard drive that they've started and then just didn't Probably go anywhere. Endless. Yeah, so over quarantine, I hit him up and was like, uh, I was like, hey, what, what have you got? Like that, that nobody – I also watched him one time sit down with Project Pat at Young Avenue um, just to play beats that had been sent to Project Pat. And I think also C Major and Kid – Maestro might have had some beats of their own in there, but Project Pat's just sitting there telling stories, you know, from coming up in Memphis, uh, all, you know, all of, you know, just his memories of being in the city, what he feels like the rap game is like now in the city. It's really interesting to watch. And every now and then he would uh, stop and just nod at C major and then C major, or I think, I think it was C major running that session. It could have been Kip Maestro, but uh, they would take that song put it in a file so that he could later write to it. <laughs> uh, and then That's Project crazy. Pat would just continue going to tell the story. So I'd kind of seen how for hip hop, how this works is like, yeah. it is kind of about, you know, whereas for me, I might, I've got to wait till a song comes. I don't mm. just, I've never really had the luxury of telling a band, no, nah, I don't hear anything for this. It just doesn't really work that way yeah. um, as easily. I think the advantage to hip hop and rap is, yeah. You just make a beat like you. There's all these electronic. Yeah, we have the electronic advantage. Like mm -hmm. when you're making a rock song, yeah, you can take samples like um, Slate Digital. They have their own electronic stuff. Yeah, um, I think Ghost Hack has some pretty good uh, samples and stuff, and you can just put it into a computer, plug mm -hmm. and play, good to go. But you don't get that that beautiful natural sound yeah. of it's kind of like somebody using digital plugins compared to analog right, plugins, right. There's uh, a an, difference analog hardware. Like yeah. there's a difference in that sound. So when you're actually recording a drummer with your Neumann microphone or actually recording, you know, uh, a guitar, right. And you've got that amplifier like right there in the, in the room. Yep. It's completely different than just like, you know, a, a rapper, I'm not a rapper, but a producer producing for rap music who can just, hit their NPC <laughs> with yeah, an 808 yeah. and play some keys on a keyboard and yep. like, all right, I'm good, we're done. So that's a really fascinating subject of conversation to me too because you see a lot of – I like nothing makes me lose respect faster for an artist or musician than when they start talking about, I like music made with real instruments, like that kind of like <laughs> – that argument or idea as though – as though, like, when Kanye West walks into the studio to produce an album, he's not using the studio as an instrument. Like, the idea that if you're not hitting an actual drum or playing an actual guitar, and I know you're not saying this, yeah. but, like, that there, are, that there are people who think that if you are using a digital plug-in versus uh, actual analog or, you know, whatever, um, that that is somehow less than musically an actual band doing the thing. Yeah. And I, that's fascinating to me because I kind of look at it like, uh, 
<laughs> this is a weird analogy, but it's the first one that popped in my head. So I'll go ahead with it. But like, you know, when you're switching through filters on your Instagram, right? Like mm-hmm. there's different colors that are going to be brought out. You know, they're all based on analog things you could have done with a, with an actual thing of film, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not that one is better or worse. Um, it's more so, did you get the picture? Did yeah. you, did you like, <laughs> and, and that's all we're trying to do when we're recording somebody is yeah. like capture a moment in time. And I'll tell people, anytime people ask me about recording, I, I really try to dissuade people from becoming too gear fetishist or too much to fetishizing gear too much mm-hmm. because that can really get in the way of what you're there to do, which mm. is, you know, ultimately, are you talking about like, if somebody walks in, they're like, Oh, you don't have a Neumann TL M one Oh three. Yes. Or, I, yes. I, I can't record here. <laughs> exactly. That kind of stuff. Or, or the idea of, uh, the idea, I see this a lot more of like the idea that if I am, since I'm able to work with tape or with older microphones, as though somehow that makes what I'm doing more prestigious than somebody that is like bedroom producing. I mean, Billie Eilish just got all, all those Grammys off of a record that was made in a bedroom. Yeah. Like the the game has changed. We, yeah. we were doing these engineer meetings back before, uh, before COVID started at um, – at Crosstown, this guy named Jeff Powell, who's a, a vinyl mastering engineer here in Memphis, had this really cool idea to get all of the engineers in the city into one room once a month to just kind of talk about, you know, basically uh, almost the state of the union, but for music. Like, mm. where how's everybody doing? And he did a really good job of including people from all of the different genres and scenes. And one of the fights that was inevitably breaking out in these meetings was some of the old heads you know, kind of <laughs> shitting on, you know, the idea of bedroom producing yeah. and people like, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with young Dolph but, or Ari Morris, but yeah. his, so Dolph's engineer, Ari is a friend of mine, uh, who has a studio over in, uh, in Midtown. And he was, he just kept trying to get people to see like that, the, the way of like needing a multi-million dollar studio to make a great record is dead. Yeah. It's not that those places are no longer important. It's not that, I mean, the reason Sun works so well is because we have the tours to buff to buffer the cost of what it takes. Yeah. So like, you know, when, when I have to go get a ribbon re-ribbon, re, that's like three to four hundred dollars you know, if I have to get four of those done in a year and I'm just a recording studio and don't have the, you know, the tour side of that to help eat that cost up, it can get expensive really quickly. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to be a multi-million dollar studio, you've got to find out all these new ways to pivot. Yeah. And the challenge, those places like Ardent or Young Avenue Sound um, and the engineers that work there, the challenge that they're facing is that, they're having to find ways to basically cut their costs, but the pay that engineers are making for sessions hasn't gone up in like 25 years, you know? Mm. You're still basically making like, if you if you can walk out of there for a 10 hour day and have made a hundred bucks, that's a good day, you mm. know? Um, and that's challenging, you know? This, this way of work is, I mean, and now you've got all these services where mixing can be done digitally yeah. or, or uh, <laughs> well, yeah, people are just AI like sending or, their stuff, you know, and like Lander and all these sorts of things. And yeah, I do. I think those things are cool in the sense that they maybe provide some kid just starting out the opportunity to learn more about the process, what mastering is, or what is mixing. But I hate to think that. 
And I don't think we ever will lose. I mean, it's kind of like you can make a meal at home or you can go to a nice restaurant and have a chef cook you one. I don't think we'll ever lose studios, but I do think that they're, you know, they're going to just continue to become harder and harder to maintain. Yeah. Um, One thing that um, I've got a friend, uh, Flight Pilot D, and he keeps like (laughs) – so I mix and like do all my stuff and record myself, but he's like, dude, we got to go to the studio. Yeah. I'm just like, I agree with you. Like I'm not saying we shouldn't like just because I can do it here, but like – it's just funny that me and him both agree on like, let's go to the studio because it's it's a different environment exactly yeah and it's a it's a it's a vibe like you were talking about room tones like we're not in my room we're in a different room so it's th- this totally room different is different work ethic idea too because yeah. it is a different vibe yeah so it's like you're showing true. up to work like it's di- it's mm-hmm. like from working from home mm-hmm. and then going to work like you're going to a place yep. where work is supposed to get done like right. you're not hanging out, chilling with your friends. Yep. It's like, hey, we're here to get something accomplished. Some people ser- do better, too, in that environment, and some people do better feeling like they're not on the clock, like they mm. are in their bedroom. I personally do my best work when it comes to recording. Uh, for me personally, when I can feel like I'm just in a state of, I, like I'm not on the clock. Yeah, Studios can be very difficult uh, when I'm the one recording, like, we did the TV Yellow record, the vocals for that over at uh, Young Avenue, which was the first time since I'd started working at Sun that I had been had another engineer cutting my vocals that and we weren't doing it at Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really interesting and it's challenging because I like to I like to get it in that moment where your headspace is right there, like, oh, I gotta go sing this song right now. I, me, I was watching uh, Homecoming with my girlfriend a few years ago, the, the Beyonce film where she does the, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the uh, two or three nights at Coachella or whatever it was. And when we got done watching it, I was like, babe, I got, I got to go to the studio. <laughs> like, you can't watch someone with her work ethic, like yeah. do what she does and not feel that need to like, you know, so that's when I like to cut and it can be difficult to go into the studio sometimes with the idea of like, okay, I've got 10 hours to get these vocals. Because then it starts to feel like, you know, I, you start watching the clock, like, oh, am I getting somewhere? Um, so I don't know. I, I really like the idea and try to provide a space at Sun where local artists can kind of come in and feel comfortable, not like as though I'm not watching the clock. You know, yeah. like we've got the time. I did a really cool session over quarantine with a band called Black Hippie, and uh, we did a 10-hour day during the day at sun, which is unheard of, all of our sessions usually start at night, but because we were closed down and nobody could come through for tours, we got in there at like 10 a.m., I got the room set up, and then we cut from like noon until, I think we wrapped that night around midnight, which is the way most studios work, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so we did that and it was so much fun because we could kind of like unwind, we just had to get two songs. Um, and uh, I really want and try to provide a space where when people come into work, they don't have to feel like, all right, guys, well, we've already burned two hours, yeah. uh, you know, smoking weed and having fun. <laughs> you know, like that's all part of it. You yeah, know, yeah. like you've got to kind of be able to give you almost have to be a little bit of a shrink for each client. You know, yeah. you, you never know who is going to. 
have that moment where they're just having a breakdown and you need to get everybody out of the room so it can be just you and them locked mm. in, you know? That's, that's some that's some service right there. <laughs> that's one thing that um, I was telling you about my friend Ryan. Um, he he says that he loves just being able to help out the people with um, – so if they're, if they're trying to sing and they don't feel comfortable with the way that they're singing, yeah. um, just try and give them a little bit of – tips and tricks i'm like yo just do this you know or hey i like that but you need a little bit more energy exactly so those those kind of things i think people appreciate and will make them want to come back knowing how to do those things too because like that's also challenging is like some people need to hear everybody kind of needs to hear that sort of positive reinforcement in a different way some people respond to a lot of push, you know, like, oh, you got better. I know you got better in you. Come on. That, yeah. That's the best. You give me one more, you know, versus, you know, some people, that's not what they need to hear. They need to, you know, like just very uh, se- uh, antiseptic, you know, just, all right, cool. Let's get another. You know? <laughs> and like, it's just, it, I had a guy in a band once who after every take, we were, Sun used to do this show on PBS called uh, Sun Sessions. And we had a band in. And after every take, I was doing what I do on every session, opening the door up saying, uh, hey, great. That was great. How'd y'all feel? Like, you want another? Great job. And by the end of the night, he also was progressively getting more and more drunk. Uh, so I won't <laughs> mention who this was. Um, but by the end of the night, uh, I came out and did it. And this is like their sixth song. He's like, man, you don't need to tell me I'm doing a good job after every take. I was like, <laughs> well, okay then. I am so sorry for – Oh, man. Uh, but it, it's funny. You never know. Like that's the thing is everybody kind of needs a different thing. And I really prefer that sort of brutal honesty. I would like that earlier on. Yeah, know? yeah. But that's better because now I know what you do and don't need to hear from me. So I can be a better engineer producer for you. And it is funny, too, in today's world how often the engineer ends up having to take on the role of producer because you're often the one in the room with them, yeah. the only one. And there's not – it doesn't – that old way is dead, yeah. you know. Um, unless you're making, you know, multi-million dollar records, you're just unlikely to have anybody other than the engineer in the room with you. And the engineer is such a big point and part of what the overall end sound is going to be, you know. I don't think I ever – really understood that until I got into music because, you know, when I, when I started out, I really wanted to, um, just like make beats. And then I started making beats and then, then of course, while I'm making the beat, I'm like, yeah, these sounds are cool, but it doesn't sound right. So then, you know, I'm, then I figure out, oh, this is what mixing is. And so I, I started mixing them, getting the sounds right. And I'm just like, ah, but these, the volume and this, like, it sounds weird some more. Now I got to get into engineering. I'm like, yep. there are different jobs for this. Oh, man. And then yeah. that's when I realized, like, oh, some people are mixers, some yeah. people are producers, some people are engineers. And I'm just like, holy smokes. These I, are all different careers. <laughs> I just did uh, I just did a session at this new studio in town called Memphis Magnetic that's an all-analog uh, studio. They have Pro Tools that is there to back up what is recorded to the tape. Um, so you cut it straight to tape and then dump it into Pro Tools so you have it saved mm. in case anything happens to the tape. And the band that was recording is this band from Philadelphia called Grave Bathers, and they were making this really sick 80s-sounding like Ozzy Osbourne Sabbath record, like just really old-school rock and Edgy. roll, just like, 
metal, you know, it was awesome. Um, and I was for four days with my friend Lydia, who's my co-engineer over at Sun, and uh, and uh, Matt Qualls, who's my co-engineer over at Young Avenue Sound. Young Avenue's more his world. Mm-hmm. I use that as a space to go write. Um, but we were doing this, and what me and Lydia were there to do is tape operate, which I don't know if you already know what that is. I don't. But it's literally you sit at the tape machine, and then you're basically you're the space bar button because you stop it, you play it, you rewind it, and then Matt, who is sitting at the console uh, with Scott McEwen, who owns and operates Memphis Magnetic, if he has to get up every time and walk over you know, just three feet to the tape machine to stop rewind, he's breaking his concentration from getting his mix, right? Mm. So you're literally the guy who's just sitting there so that he can go, stop that, rewind it, and then, well, he's not typing, he's like tweaking and listening. And and it was fascinating, because like in the old days, before Pro Tools, you had to have a tape operator. You know, even if you had the remote to run the tape machine, it still helps the engineer to just have somebody who can uh, be seated there to... um, to do that. And yeah. it's just, it's really fascinating to think of, to your point, how many different roles there used to be that then slowly got whittled more and more down until now the engine, you know, you used to have tracking engineers, mixing engineers, mastering engineers, and all of these things still exist, but you kind of have to be a jack of all trades now, yeah. you know? Um, Expectations have just risen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think because of electronics nowadays and then just how technology has advanced to yep. where where we're at everything's so uh not not only feasible but it's also accessible yep. and so people have the ability to do all this stuff like me and Ryan earlier we're talking about he's got a um he just bought one of the Mac minis oh yeah yeah he's got a slate digital um interface but they don't work together he call he's calling slate and slate's like yeah, we we just haven't made the software for it yet. So for it, Mac, yeah, for the for the Mac Mini because wow. it's, it's got the the M1 chip in it. Ah, uh, the new yeah. chip. Yeah, yeah, he, I heard about that. Yeah, and everybody has said don't get the new Mac Mini. <laughs> like, yeah, if you're any kind of creator, I think Adobe maybe has like that. Um, I think Apple has that Rosetta yeah. where it like uh, translates the the coding. Maybe Adobe is working on the M1 chip, but like. Pro Tools, mm-hmm. um, Universal Audio, um, all these companies, yeah. other than you know Logic, which is through Apple, right? Yeah, all these companies are like don't get the M1 chip yet. Like we're still working on it. Yeah, and that that kind of stuff is like, you know, eventually in the future we might be at the point to where everything's going to be instantly. Right. But like, it's so crazy thinking about recoded. Right yeah, now. yeah, all the technology that we have nowadays. It's like, all right, we don't, you know, we can't translate everything right yeah. now, but eventually, you know, we're going to get to that point. But there's so much stuff out there. And it's so much more disposable now. If there is anything about the analog way that I think is, if not better, more – I don't like that word. So what's the – the thing I think that is cool about analog is it's a format that's built to last, like Mm -hmm. to stay. Like, you know, whereas with us moving into where our computers have become our our recording devices – and how often, I mean, there's a new MacBook every few years. Yeah, you yeah. Know, there's a new uh, computer, a Mac computer every few years. And those things are always, you know, they're, they're made to, to degrade so that you've got to buy the next thing. Whereas a tape machine is made to, like, work. Yeah. You know? And I think that's cool. 
but it's just not necessarily I I look at those things as filters and colors, you know, like maybe you want to tape sound on something, um, but it doesn't mean that the tape is better. I don't like to fetishize things in that way. I, I yeah. really like it to be I've I've heard songs where you got they got the take by taking a video with their iPhone and placing the people like that was the take <laughs> you know um, I, I I just think that's so much more fascinating of a way to look at it than for it to just be um, you know oh well we only cut if we can cut we ha- had a, a band come into Sun once who. We use the tape machines as auxiliary for tape slap, so for a, a slapback tape delay. And they wanted to cut straight to the tape. And at the time, that wasn't something we were able to offer because it would still have to go through the computer because it's routed through the UA converter. This is all probably getting boring to anybody. <laughs> no, not, people, people who but, actually listen to music, they're uh, going to appreciate uh, actually getting into detail. But they were upset that it was hitting the computer before it was hitting the tape machine, and so they walked out and left the session. Um, this was like This was like the second session I worked at Sun. And I think there had been some miscommunication from the person uh, who'd booked it about what Sun was able to do, and I think that they were frustrated about that. Um, so who's to say whose fault it was? But it was uh, fascinating to see. Like, I just don't really go for that. Like, mm-hmm. to me, you come all the way all the way from across the world and you're going to get hung up on the fact that it's hitting a computer before it's hitting the tape. Come on. Like, yeah. you know, okay. I, you know, if that's, if that's what you want or if that's what was communicated to you as how it was going to go, then I, to- I don't know. You know, I can totally see if you feel like you were led to believe that was not going to happen, then okay. But even even then, I still just feel like I would be so happy to be, you know, you you came here for the room, for the mics, the, yeah. the preamps. I just, I don't know. I am working right now on getting it set up so that we can cut straight to the single track tape. But single track tape, there's no, you know, with any other tape, you can mix later on with it, right? Um, because it's on multiple tracks. Single track, whatever you print to it is what's on there. So your mix has to be done while the band is performing. Mm. If you go back and listen to like uh, some of Howlin' Wolf songs, there's some times where you can hear like Sam will kick up the the snare drum to just beat the door down and then immediately swing it back down. And that's happening while it's cutting on to tape because mm. he can't take that later and, you know, oh, let's let's go mix this. The only thing he was able to do <laughs> that's crazy. is compress it, uh, master it, you know, um, but that's it. There's no mixing. So every performance you hear that came out of Sun was done the moment they, like the mix was done the moment they were done playing the song. Do you know anybody who I guess is stuck in their old ways that is able to stay, I guess, so somebody who was successful mm-hmm. years ago and refuses to agree with like and newer stuff. Yeah, and still is doing successful. well. Um, I mean, I, the only people I can think of that would fit that description are people that, you know, got successful enough to not have to worry about the cost of money. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, a single reel of quarter inch tape is a hundred dollars. If you get it with the actual reel, a pancake, which is just the tape that you can then take out and put onto the reel. Those are 30 bucks. 
Um, and, and how long does that last you? 30 minutes. About 30 minutes. Now, you can re-record over them. I mean, the reels I use at Sun, I use for tape slap. I've been using the same like eight or nine reels for the last few years and just re-recording over them because I'm only using the tape as an auxiliary effect to get the tape delay sound that Sun was known for in the 50s because Sam didn't have a room with reverb, and he he was the person to realize he could split the signal and send like say the band to the master tape machine, but the vocal signal he would route to a second tape machine. Mm. And the amount of time it took for that tape machine to get back to the master tape is how tape delay was invented. Uh, wow. So you, you, whenever you <laughs> use a tape delay plug-in or anytime you put delay on something, That's crazy. the first instance we have of that being used in popular music came from some studio with Sam trying to work out how to get more depth to the vocals, to the guitar, and it was, you know, through that's that. That's crazy. And see, you don't get there without having a problem. It's, yeah. That's what's really cool about it, you know? I don't know if this is true, but have you heard the story about how um, distorted sounds from guitars came about? Yeah. It was yeah. like somebody somebody was about to perform, and then like Ike the, Turner and Jackie Brinston at uh, Rocket 88 was the song. Okay. They dropped their amp. Uh, there's multiple stories. The one that Ike said was they were coming into the studio that night and it had rained as they were driving up from Clarksdale and they were taking their amp out of the trunk and it was the only amp on the premises because at the time the musicians would bring in their amps and guitars, now we have them there. Um, but they're bringing in the amp and uh, they drop it and it busts the speaker cone. So they had to go next door to the restaurant that was next to Sun. Sam runs over there, gets newspaper, shoves it around the speaker cone to keep it held in so place. So this is like... Happened in legit. Memphis. It did. Happen. Oh, <laughs> you know that. I don't even yeah. know where I heard this story from, yeah. but that, yeah. that's crazy. That's how it happened, though. Like, they they needed – I mean, they didn't have another amp. And Sam, he was he was a true Memphis character. He was – he believed in this thing called perfect imperfection. Uh, he wanted the artists to be them, their unapolo- unapologetic selves, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that's what's – I think that's what's really important and – can sometimes get lost in pop music today where a place like, you know, places like Nashville, not to consistently shit on Nashville, although, (laughs) you know, that is basically what we do here in Memphis. Um, Places like that, I feel like, can often become cookie cutter, you know, uh, places to churn out hits. Yeah. You know, I always got into music because I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to become famous or rich. I want to make a living and yeah. like be able to survive doing this, of course. But I think that there's something to be said for doing it because it's like what you have to do. You mm-hmm. know, you could take everything away from me that I that I've worked to get to today and I swear you're still going to find me in a bedroom somewhere with a microphone or my phone and garage band and like just the earbuds whatever <laughs> I've got to like yeah. write and record with I'm never going to be able to stop you could throw me in prison I'm still going to tr- sing sing and write songs you yeah. know it's just a part of of what I've got to do to find my peace with myself um and he was a big believer in that sort of idea of you know if he said, if it doesn't come bursting out of you, um, or, or that was Bukowski, but Bob Dylan said something about uh, a son was it felt like the artists there were singing for their lives. Mm, um, I and like that. I think that's true, and I think that that's I think that's important and something you've got to carry with you wherever you go and whatever 
whatever place you're working in is like you, to get the take, you've got to be able to tune out everything else and get on that frequency level where, you know, it's like a, like a radio station where you're tuning into where were you when you wrote the song? What do you mean? What are you trying to convey with the song? Um, and how do you properly capture that? And the mics and the equipment that you use are all just the tools to get you there. You know, they're the camera with which you're taking the picture, you know? Correct, yeah. Um, yeah, you just need to figure out, you know, what canvas are, are you trying to capture? On. Yeah. Like, what, what, what is it about that song is going to make people feel even more involved with it? Yeah. There was um, – I keep forgetting this quote, but it was a quote. Um, I've been going through Full Sail University through music business. Yeah. And um, the quote this guy had mentioned was something about um, the like the entertainment business is the monetization of an emotional attachment people have to something. Mm -hmm. So it's it's basically saying we're making money off of your emotional attachment yeah. to something. Yeah. So if you're a huge football fan, like I'm a huge Alabama football fan, like yeah. people are, the entertainment business is making money off an Alabama fan because they have an emotional attachment yeah. to Alabama football. Like yeah. when Alabama scores a touchdown, you celebrate. Mm -hmm. Why are you celebrating? Well, they scored. Well, I didn't do anything. Yeah. Why am I, why am I happy? Yeah. That's how people, that's how the entertainment business is. So when you, when you can, when you're able to do that to your fans, like mm -hmm. if you put out a song called um, Green Skies, like somebody might think Green Skies, like the sky's not green. Yeah. But when you sing that song and they're listening to it and they're like, man, I know exactly what he's talking about. Exactly, <laughs> that emotional yeah. attachment yeah. just brings people in. They're like, oh, this I love this guy. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> they the don't story even know who we, it's about the story you tell yourself with it. Like yeah. you may be an Alabama fan because of – you know, something that happened when you were younger or, or going to school there. It's, it's something that attachment comes from, like, the story that you tell yourself about why it matters to you. Yeah. And that's what makes for great records, great art. Any great art is buying into the characterization of what the artist is. You yeah. Know? And so much of that today is – it gets – boring to me because I hate the idea that we've all become brands that we have to like, Yes, you know, I don't want to be a brand. I want to be me. I want to be a human being. I don't want to, you know, monetize and market myself. And I've yeah. got so many artist friends who are so talented and good at that and who some who have even, you know, been able to turn that into their livelihood. So it's no shade towards people who are good at doing that. It's just frustrating for me when I want to just make records. I yeah. just want to sing songs. And in today's world, you've, you know, there's such an influx of everybody that is also, you know, in, in so many ways, it's so good because, you know, there's so many seats at the table now where we all yeah. can kind of come and like, we could cut a song right now. You know, yeah. if we wanted to, the tools are here, you know, we could just acapella do something or what, you know, build something. Yeah. Um, so the, the, there's so much more opportunity, but it also means that there's so much more surplus that people have to wade through. So you have to fight to get people's attention. And the way that that has been, you know, because of capitalism, the way that that has to be done is through branding. And that's where for me, it's like, man, I, like props to anybody who's able to do that and do that well. Um, it's just never been... I, I just feel like I don't have enough space in my brain to like think. Sometimes I'll see the old Facebook posts I made from a few years ago where I'm like promoting a show and it's just some cheesy like silly little 
try, me trying to be funny about like why you should come see me play at local downtown today. Yeah. And I look at it and I'm just like, oh, my God, <laughs> man. Like, but uh, you got to do it. Everybody's got to do it. I was yeah. talking to the guy, Davis from Grave Bathers, about that, where he was like really trying to up their Instagram engagement because you've got to like to get yourself out there and have people see you. You've got to be putting content out there. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of unfortunate about the business because you, as you said, not everybody does want to do that or is good at that. You know, like you were saying, you just want to make music. Yeah. You can't say that. Like if you, if you're, if you're trying to be like a number one hit seller and stuff like that and a label, like, I don't know, Republic records comes up to you and like, Hey, we want, we want you to be with our label. Yep. You can't just be like, okay, cool. Yeah. I just want to make music. Yep. But no, we need you to fly here. We need you to do this. Yeah. We need you to do this stuff. Like you can't just, oh, I just want to make music and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel lucky. Um, I feel lucky just because I've really been able to get to a place over the last, excuse me, over the last uh, couple of years to kind of like, I really do enjoy like this stuff is fun. I, I enjoy like talking about making music with other people who who make music and and are interested in the process of it. So this is not this none of this bothers me. It's more like having to like like the idea of having to promote shows and that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and I've kind of made my peace with it finally over the last few years because the only reason I ever really wanted to do shows was so that I could hopefully find somebody who would want to sign me to their record label so they would pay for the studio access. Because all I ever wanted was to find out how to use the studio as its own instrument. Like, Mm. if I turn the gain all the way up on this and the output down and then plug this mic into this weird place and put tacks on the inside of the piano and play it, like, what kind of sounds do I get? And now that I've got, you know, the ability and opportunity to to work in that way in the studio, then I, I really, as soon as that happened, I stopped playing shows almost altogether unless I was asked specifically to book with somebody. Yeah. Um, because I only did shows as a means to get into the studio. So once I was able to be <laughs> in the studio, you know, right, I'm here. I, I, yeah. And like for me, there's, a, there's, a, it's very, I feel very privileged and lucky to get to do that because I don't have to, I can kind of do what I do underground and then the people who are tuned in and know me and want to come in and work with me have the opportunity to hit me up and we can do that. Um, but it, it gives me the, a, a level of anonymity that I really enjoy. Like I've never wanted to be like somebody that's at the forefront of any sort of like, I don't want to be somebody. Yeah, I want to the be, face of a, yeah, I just being that brand. I don't thing. have any delusions of, of grandeur that I ever will be. I think when I was younger, I felt like I needed to, you know, there, there's this, the interesting thing about art is to be an artist means holding two, uh, completely opposing ideas in your head. One that you have anything of value to, to add to the conversation and so you need to take the time to put it into a song and write it down. So there's mm-hmm. your ego idea of like, I have something important. My wor- my thoughts and words have value, so let me put this out there. And then the other side of it is, oh man, I'm the worst. This does not measure <laughs> up to, to yeah. anything that you know that I want it to be. And so you're constantly battling back and forth with that imposter syndrome of, you know, I'm because you kind of need to feel like the greatest to ever do it, to even lift your your hand and put pen to paper, because otherwise, what's the point if you're not, you know? Yeah. like, and, and then at the same time, you've also got a balance with that sense of, you know, 
man, I suck. And that's where the growth, it's, that's the cycle of growth to me is like when, when you can get through those moments of, because when you realize you're not the greatest to ever do it, but you're also not the worst to ever do it. So it's, it's okay. You're just doing, I always try to push any of my friends that have an interest in writing to do it because I think it should be just as accessible as, you know, how once Instagram, I I guess I'm promoting Instagram today. I keep (laughs) mentioning them, but once Instagram came out and everyone suddenly was a photographer, you know, I think music should be that way. We all, I don't care if it's something that you do want to do for a living or just somebody who, if you do want to just sit at home and write, write songs and record for yourself, I think it would be a wonderful world if we all felt comfortable, like, you know, maybe you have one song in you, maybe you have a thousand, you know, but I, I, I always try to push people to, um, explore that. Explore that. See where that goes. You yeah. know where. How many songs do you have in you? If you have any interest at all in writing, yeah. find out. You know, there's um there's a big discrepancy that I, I personally love talking to people about it. But it's the fact that technology is getting so advanced that it's taking away certain jobs from people. Yeah. Me and my wife were actually watching a um, a video about Amazon. Yeah. And um, this woman, she. I think she just like scans stuff and then just like puts it on like a conveyor belt or whatever. But she was talking about how um, the robots, they've got these robots that look like Roombas. And uh, what they do is they just pick up these stacks of like all their products and yeah. then just move like these big stacks around. So they just basically like organize the whole place and then they'll just like come to her and then she just has to take it out the bin and put it away. Well, wow. a person probably used to do that. But yeah, now yeah. they just have these robots that just do it for them. She's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I love it because I don't have to go anywhere. I can just stand right here. They bring it to me, and I just do that. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are probably like, these robots are taking our jobs and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. It's like, well, think about it. If all the robots take your jobs, then okay. But now you, you can go do another job that you might actually want it to do. Maybe free up some space for you. You yeah. freed up time. Uh, now that time – you, if you wanted to be an artist. Yeah. So if, if things, if, if robots are doing a lot of the jobs for people, then probably food might get cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, just stuff is going to get cheaper because companies aren't having to pay for a person to yeah. do it. They don't have to pay insurance anymore. They don't have to pay yeah. for uh, any type of things to maintain that human. So stuff might start getting cheaper, yeah. which will allow you to, to do whatever you want to. So now if people want to make music, if they want to paint, if yeah. they, they want to be a welder, like you can just do that stuff at home. And now you freed up all this time and all this space for you to just focus you know, on other things, focus yeah. on things that you actually want to do. Yeah. And so that's, you know, to your point, like if people want to make music, they could just make music. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the fact that technology has bedroom produce producers, you can just make music at home. You don't have to go to a studio and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I just bought this one hour session. Well, now you could do, be at home and you Figure have unlimited time. <laughs> exactly. And that's where that that's where so much of the beauty comes in, too, because anytime you walk into the studio, you are at the whim of the guy that is setting up the mics, picking the mics, yeah. engineering. Um mixing you and once you start learning how to do it yourself it's kind of like the difference between commissioning a painting and painting yourself you yeah know, you you know you might be able to uh maybe you've got an artist that you like and you want a, uh, a portrait of you know 
your dog or, or something like that. Um, and they can get close. But if you learn how to paint yourself, maybe you can get closer. Yeah. And I, I also have always been fascinated by the idea of like all the artists I was, I've been the most into are, are outliers or particularly artists who uh, don't have success until later on after they're gone. Like mm -hmm. there's this French poet Rimbaud who in the 1890s moved to uh, Paris to become a poet, which at the time uh, would have been the equivalent today of like becoming a songwriter, a, 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 a singer songwriter. You yeah. know, like um, moves to Paris. Uh, this guy is like, you know, Mozart levels of brilliant in his poetry would go on hundred, about a hundred years later, just a little less than a hundred years later to influence modern songwriting with people like Bob Dylan, Jim Morrison of the Doors and Patti Smith. Uh, but he moves to, to Paris, uh, falls in love with another poet, poet named Paul Verlaine, who's cheating on his wife. And, uh, <laughs> They have this horrid or, or torrid affair. Uh, somebody's hands get shot in the process when they're breaking up. Oh, man. He, he moves to Africa and becomes a gun runner and is selling guns and then dies uh, because he gets so disillusioned with the poet, poet scene in, in Paris and just writes it off, tries to burn every single copy of poetry that he could get his hands on um, that he'd written. Um, it's a miracle any of the stuff survived. And uh, then just never never writes another poem as far as we know the rest of his life. And then Holy he dies um, this really sad way where he's like, he gets a leg infection while he's living in Africa running these guns and is being carried back to a place like hundreds of miles from any sort of a hospital. This is like the 1890s. Um, and uh, is being carried on a stretcher through the African terrain and uh, – just like has to have his leg amputated. This has like gotten really sad really fast. But he 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 never got to see how much of an impact he had. And uh, there's something about what he did that I think makes that even more entertaining. Or not his death, but that he would walk away from it. Yeah, you know, and say no, I this isn't for me, because it's it, it just. I don't know why that fascinates me so much. I've always had these fantasies of like someday being like no. Nah, I'm done. I've done. <laughs> I've said everything I had to say. Yeah. I'm going to move to the country garden. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I love doing this. I don't. I don't think I ever will stop. I think I'll do this till the day that I die. Um, I mean, you you more see that in like I guess athletes because yeah. it's physically taxing. Yes. So you've had people like um, Andrew Luck, uh, star athlete at Stanford. Yeah. And the dude, I think, graduated with an engineering degree. I think he was like a mechanical engineer or something like that. And then he goes and plays for the Indi Indianapolis Colts. And I think he played like I don't know, like five seasons, maybe six. Yeah. And then just like I think he got hurt. And then when he was hurt, he was like, "Yeah, I'm done." And the fans, like, he showed up to a game, announced that he was retiring at the game. He was, like, he was just in street clothes. Yeah. And um, when he was walking out, when the game was over, the fans started booing him. Uh -huh. And I was like, that's your, like, he was on your team. Yeah, <laughs> they were yeah. booing him because they were upset that he just, like, up and retired randomly. Yeah. But. I mean, at the end of the Pops day, that guy though, like, you yeah, gotta follow yourself and do what's best for yourself. Exactly. You know? So much of, so much of life is spent. You know, you can't spend it living for other people. You've yeah. got to be doing what makes you happy, um, and just following that. That's always worked out pretty well for me. I, 
I left home the day I turned 18 and immediately went into the workforce and uh, never, I didn't even graduate high school. And I've just kind of always followed the thread of like, I quit my job. I had this like really good job at Service Master that I had worked at for like six years to get where I would have been. I mean, they, they just did a lot of layoffs. Uh, so I don't know that I would have stayed set up, but I could have like stayed there and had had something for myself that, you know, healthcare, 401k, all of that stuff. And instead I quit to go clean houses so that I could keep doing music and then ended up where I'm at now. And I, I'm so much happier for it. You know, it, it took a risk and I mean, I still miss healthcare for sure. <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, but I think that, you know, I don't know, I don't get to pick how long I'm going to be here. I would rather spend the time that I am here uh, chasing this dragon, you know, yeah. or rabbit um, for as as long as I can because you don't know where it's going to lead. Yeah. And, and it's risky, but it's that's kind of where half the fun comes from is that, you know, you've got to – you've got to take the high risk, high reward, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so who are some people that I would say have severely influenced you? Mm -hmm. Like from, it could be from sun specifically or just yeah. any, anybody outside of sun. I like to find my influences a lot in, um, would it be possible for us to take a quick break so I could have a cigarette yeah. outside? Yeah, go And ahead. then this would be a great question for us to come back on. Is that okay. cool? Yeah. Because cool. can, then I can kind of think about it. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Sweet, sweet. All right, cool. Um, yeah, we can stop it. We'll be back. All right, we're back. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the fact that um, a lot of people – so I'll, I'll have, like, people on, and I I've always feel like – Somebody wants to take a break and then <laughs> Yeah. And then like at the end they're like, Oh, I gotta use the bathroom so bad. I'm like, <laughs> I told you <laughs> you can use the bathroom if you want to. Yeah. But I'm glad you said something though. That's that's, that's no, funny. No, yeah, that's fine. You feel refreshed now. Probably. I do, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel way it would be easier to answer that question. Uh we were talking about influences. Okay, yeah, the people who have influenced you um so I I would say I really like finding my inspiration in local artists a lot. Uh, lately, over the last few years, several of the people who've had a big impact on me influentially as Mick, the guy I was working with last night, um, he has been an in endless source of inspiration. If you were to ask him, uh, he would tell you that I just steal everything <laughs> that he does. Um, but I do, I love working with him. We're, we're, we're twin souls. Like we just really, you know, one of those people you can collaborate with where you can see that you're both having the same idea at the same moment. Nice. So that's been nice. Uh, a weirdo from Memphis uh, is a hip-hop artist that I occasionally play bass for who just is next level on – I can't wait till we can do shows again because weirdo puts on some of the best, hot, most high-energy excitement shows I've, I've ever gotten to see. Uh, Pro is another rapper. These are both uh, guys that are – affiliated with unapologetic i mean really that whole crew is just from i make mad beats to pro to weirdo to kid maestro c major uh aaron james i mean if i start listing them i'm gonna forget and leave somebody out but uh that whole crew has been really influential um then uh you know as far as like more well-known you know artists that have had an impact or influence on me 
songwriting wise, I was really into a band growing up called Bright Eyes, uh, Connor Oberst, a band called Rilo Kylie. Um, Jack White was a, a pretty big influence on me, not so much sonically as he would talk a lot in interviews about going into situations with a set of limitations, like those White Stripes records they made uh, with just him and Meg, where they would go in and say, okay, we're only using 16 tracks to record, and they would not allow themselves more tracks than that. So they ha they're going in already with a, a wall that they have to work against to get the sound they want. You can't mm. just throw everything you want at it till it sounds good. You've got to get it right very much on the foundation. So that, that was a big Im impact. I've actually gotten uh, the privilege here the last couple weeks, me and Kip Maestro, to work with a, a drummer that plays with Jack White named Daru Jones. He's been coming through to uh, do some recording at Sun. And Daru also plays, uh, what is it? Um, he was working on a song the other night that Q-Tip's going to be on, which is really cool. Nice. Um, but he's a really interesting drummer. He sets his drum up, drums up in this really unconventional way. Mm -hmm. um, he, he just did uh, SNL with Jack White a few weeks ago. I guess now it's probably been about six weeks ago. Um, but he's been really cool, loves Memphis, lives up in Nashville, but also plays with Mono Neon. If you've ever seen uh, Mono Neon's videos, he's a bass player oh, yeah. that used to play with Prince. I got to cut them uh, about three or four weeks ago. Uh, they're both really talented. Mono Neon is, uh, you definitely should check him out. He's got just the funkiest way of playing bass, man, and like just an iconic look. Uh, I, I, I'm really drawn to people who are characters. Yeah. I think that. I think that those people um, provide a lot of inspiration. Anybody, you know, Mad Beats, his whole idea of, you know, unapologetic is about being your unapologetic self. And that's what art's for. You yes. know, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I think to drill that down into people's psyche of like, this is what I'm here to provide. Um, is a really fascinating and, and powerful message uh, because it it keeps in a world where art has become so much about commerce and can I sell this? It keeps it grounded in what it's originally supposed to be about self expression. You yeah. Know? Um, Tiffany Harmon, an artist that I, I got to do some work with at Sun, is a you know been a, a really great source of inspiration. Uh, my friend Matt. Uh, Qualls, another great inspiration, has an artist he's worked with named Natalie, uh, Natalie Greenbell, who is a super talented songwriter. Uh, she's doing some singing on the next TV Yellow record that is, I think, really cool. Um, I just, I think Memphis is such a, has such a great art scene in all of, like, to the point we were talking about earlier, all of these different genres and varieties. Yes. Um, whatever it is you like, whether it be reggae, hip-hop, uh, country, rock and roll, garage rock, um, just about anything, There's, it's probably happening somewhere here in Memphis. And when you do get all of those things together in one place, uh, it creates for something totally new because yeah. everyone is brushing up against each other and having ideas, influencing each other. Um, and you never know what sort of ripple one single idea that you have might then spurn for somebody else, you know, yeah. or spur on for somebody else. Um, who is somebody that you, I guess, starstruck is the word. Uh, you're just like, holy crap. 
yeah. to have gotten to record and work with. Yeah. Um, well, so I was doing a tour in March back before, like probably a week or two before COVID locked everything down in the States. And, um, this guy walks out after the tour. And as soon as I see his face, I'm like racking my brain, trying to figure out where I know this guy from. And he comes over, he starts talking to me and, um, he's asking if he can see the control room and it's sun. The control room is for most tourists is off limits. Mm-hmm. Um, if you seem cool, then the tour guide will occasionally have the time and ability to take you back and show you the control room. But it's very much on a – it's up to the tour guide. So he's asking to see and we're talking. I was like, yeah, I think I can probably take you back there. And I'm still sitting there trying to like figure out who this guy is. When it dawns on me, he's my favorite guitar player, songwriter of all time. And the reason I'm not recognizing that is because I've spent so much more time listening to his music than I have watching music videos or seeing oh. him play live. You know, I've, I'm familiar with his face, but not nearly as familiar with his face as I am with the sound that he makes when he plays. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, what's your name, man? And he's like, Blake. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Blake Sennett. I was like, what's your last name? And he goes, Sennett. I was like, I was like, dude. <laughs> I was like, you are my favorite guitar player. Like, <laughs> Do you want to eat like, in the controller? <laughs> yeah, I was like, d- like legitimately. And I was just, I fangirled so hard. Uh, and to the point, usually like I've, I've had some fairly big names come through, uh, big on the spectrum of like, you know, like I, I, there was this rock band live that came through and recorded and my, my brother Gabe, is a big fan of them, and he got to come in and help assist on that session. This was back when I was still the assistant engineer, and I was able to invite him out to come, like, be the runner to get coffees, water, that kind of stuff, so he could see them. And that they were cool, but, you know, I was never as big of a fan, so mm. it wasn't as much of a starstruck thing for me. Um, and it is challenging because whenever you are dealing with someone who you have such an intimate private relationship with their music where it means so much to you and your memories it it can be difficult to separate and remember like this is still just a person like you and me and you always work better i think when you're when you're there to work with someone like that when you are separating and not too fangirling too hard or fanboying too hard um, yeah or whatever um but that's that's probably been one of the one of the people who I've gotten to meet up there and just really was like starstruck by. When Daru came through to to record a few weeks ago, I had had a session earlier that night, and Maestro had told me that uh, Mono Neon and and uh, someone that he was working with needed a space, and I told them I was like, yeah, come through. I'll already be set up for drums and bass, so we can just rock with that. And went next door to finish up with the client, and when I came back the drums have just been disassembled and set up in this really weird way. And I'm looking at it and I'm remembering having seen drums set up this way a couple weeks before on SNL with Jack White. And I'm thinking, is this, <laughs> I'm like looking at it and I'm like, is this a thing drummers are doing now that mm. I'm just not aware of? And I'm like, there's no way this, like how have I gone this long with recording people? And this is the first, like, I'm seeing drums like, is this, and I'm like, did you just play SNL? And he was like, yeah. I was like, oh, dude, that was, that was awesome. Like, <laughs> like, how was that? Did you have fun? And like, you know, that was, so I was starstruck with Daru and he's just the sweetest guy, man. Like he loves Memphis, reps the city hard, uh, 
we got him some sun merch and he's always like sharing and taking pictures of himself nice. wearing it at different studios. So that's cool. Um, I, you know, I, I love that. Um, I've never, it is funny that to go onto the other side of that, the people who are divas, it never seems to be the people who have the clout to like mm. back up like diva like behavior, behavior. The people I've seen come through who are like sometimes the most difficult to work with are not people who have like that sort of national acclaim or, or, or access to, you know, celebrities and working with them. It's often people who have had just a little bit of regional success and then come to a place like Sun and start bossing you around of like, can I get uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I would I, love for you to name drop, uh, but is there anybody? I don't know that I could remember <laughs> any names. Like okay. that's what I mean. That's what I yeah, mean yeah. is like the people who really have been the most difficult and yeah. I really couldn't name drop just in case, you know, it ever got back <laughs> to anybody. Uh, I did, I did one session that I'll, I'll tell you the story. Um, that was weird without t saying name dropping anything, but it was a CEO for a company and he was working on this rock opera and uh, really weird dude. The whole time he was, you know, uh, in there cutting, he was cutting vocals for something that he was not even ultimately going to be the singer for. These were the scratch tracks that he was going to have for this rock opera he's working on. And somebody who has a lot of money um, to, to do something like that. So he's in there cutting and he's doing like, man, I think we did 20 takes of vocals on a song. Mm. And and he's got like 12 songs. So it's like taken a long time. Jesus. And between each take, um, he's like taking a sip of his water. And then there's just all these mouth noises of just <laughs> like, and I'm, I've got my headphones on and can hear the guy just. Oh man! Oh man! That was I. I, I think I disassociated at one point. It was just like, like it was so. <laughs> I had heard the same song and lyric so many times, you know, that it was just something else. I do wonder what happened with that opera, <laughs> uh, rock opera. It really wasn't that good. So. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know. Like you, as your job as an engineer. If you're trying to make ends meet, is you don't yeah. really you still got to make that sound as good as you can and make that make sure that person leaves with the best product you possibly yeah. can get them. You know, I've I've heard stories like um, I think it was Russell Crowe. People yeah. said that Russell Crowe like they don't like working with him. Yeah, he can I've be a bit of a like diva. That him. But that that kind of stuff like really surprises me that some people can be at that level right. and still be like just unassociable. Yep. Um, I had on Kirk Teach out. And he uh, gave me a book to read, and it was called The Giver. Yeah. yeah I think it was called The Giver. But um, I read the book, and it was an amazing book. And um, something that I grasped from the book was that sometimes people who have, quote, unquote, made it, and they're, like, at the very top, mm -hmm. those are usually some of the nicest people. Yep. Because it's like they – Sometimes people are mean and rude because right. they're still scratching and clawing, trying to get to the top. Yeah. But the people who are at the top, like they've got nothing to fight for anymore. So they're, they're just kind of there. And they're right. just at that point, they're just trying to help everybody else out. That's what I think we're supposed to do is if you, I mean, I think about that a lot, especially being a white man in today's world and a white man with access to, you know, a recording studio. I want to make sure that I'm as much as I possibly can 
using that sort of a platform to give to people who would not have the opportunity to come in there and work as easily. Like, you know, keeping the rates flexible and affordable for local acts, for, you know, for artists who are trying to do their thing. And I think you've got to be aware of what your own privileges or your own level of access or success has been so that you can then turn around and see other people that have talent or heart and then lift those people up and try to get them, you know, the access to be able to continue to do whatever their dreams are, you know? Yeah. Um, And even if it's things like, you know, you're unable to do like like when we first talked, you know, like you're looking for internship. Well, I don't have anything like that that we do here, but here's somebody I know who yeah. is looking for this or who might be a good contact or point of reference or, you know, just always trying to look for ways to – because the more people that you can if, – if you can spend your whole life trying to be a bridge to getting people who would work well together into one room working well together – then damn man like that's you that's more powerful than if i can just do that and go go down into history as someone who doesn't really get recognized for it but but that happened that's more powerful than if i myself by myself become successful yes. you know what i mean yeah. like you that ripples on throughout eternity so much more than just me always only looking for ways to uplift me. You yeah. know? And I do, I think too a lot about how in today's world, you know, where I was telling my friend Amanda Dent, who has a, she's got a radio show over at WIXR, that new Crosstown radio yeah, station. Yeah. And we were talking one night about, uh, I, we were having a band rehearsal at her house and we were talking about music and she was asking me when I was going to put some stuff out, what my plans were. And I was telling her, I was like, I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I really sometimes struggle with what's one more white guy's voice with music. Like, is that really still important? You know, what <laughs> I have to think, you know, have we not really, if I'm pushing myself too hard, you know, to get out there and, and constantly putting what I've made out and pushing that on people, I just feel like maybe I can, maybe I can get out of the way and work with artists and try to, you know, I'll still put my stuff out, but I do this because I love doing it, yeah. you know? Um, but if I can lift up other artists, I feel like that's a better use of what I'm able to do than if I'm just using my access to only promote myself. Yeah, It's boring. I think it's unnecessary. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I do think that what I have to say is important, um, but I also think that like, you know, People will find that if they like it, you yeah. know, and it's not necessarily something that I have to push on people, you know. I can try to get out of the way and make space for other people to have platforms and give voices to others. And I, I think that there's more value for me in doing that than there is in, you know, putting out a song and then constantly just hear, hear, yeah. you know, listen, listen, listen. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think – that's really what I want um, my role to be in Memphis is just to be that bridge. Yeah. Like that's that's just connecting people. And I, I did something pretty cool I thought was just like really cool. But yeah. um, I created a, a trailer for the podcast and I put it on Instagram and um, I have it unlisted as YouTube because I'm, I'm trying to start a Patreon. Yeah. So that's going to be like my Patreon trailer thing. But um, – Basically, I just took 
where I say, welcome to America's podcast today we have on. And then I just took everybody from the last episode I did to uh, the very first episode. Yeah. And then they all just said their names. And so it was something for everybody to see yeah. all the people that I've had on. And I've only done, I think, 43 episodes. That's fucking awesome, though, <laughs> dude. But it, it was Is cool. Is that all since you moved here? Or um, just like, have you, were you doing this before you moved to Memphis? I think I did eight episodes before I moved here. So I think like the ninth episode or so was when I moved here. Wow. So it was it was just cool seeing like all those different people. And then the the coolest part is the people that know each other. Yeah. So like even when you were like, oh, I really want to watch that one with Anne Elizabeth Craig. Yeah, like, yeah. Having those people on and then I'll, I'll be talking to somebody and they're like, oh, I know that person. I'm like, oh, snap, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was telling the story of with uh, what's the name? Crisis J. So mm-hmm. I had him on a couple podcasts ago and we we both follow somebody on Twitter. Yeah. And the person said, um, everybody post your music. I'm trying to find new people. It was that's a thing on Twitter. But so I posted yeah, yeah. a video that I've done and um Crisis liked it, which I didn't know who he was. And I think yeah. I think he said like, oh, this is a good song or whatever. And then um I went to his profile and then it said he was in Memphis, and I commented. I was like, "Yo, you're in Memphis." He's yeah. like, "Yeah." And then I like went through his tweets, and one of his tweets was with my friend Ryan that I, I had on probably like six podcasts ago. Yeah, I was like, "Dude, I know Ryan too." Yeah, so yeah. I had him. I had crisis on the podcast. It was just I'm like, "Dude, it's a small cool. world." It is. Memphis is still it's the biggest little small city. Yeah, you know, it has just <laughs> enough to be uh, cultured to be. Um, it has just enough to like, you know, there's a lot out there for you, but everybody does kind of know each other. And I think that's cool too. Like so much more interesting when you're part of that scene and you're trying to see what is outside the scope of the scene that I work in. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really fun to go, you know, from, you know, I've had nights where I've gone to see like weirdo play a hip hop show and then gone to some dive bar and seen some rock band I've never heard of, yeah. you know, or a rock band I'm, I've gone to go see because I like them. And it's there's there's so much culture in the city and it's I can't wait till it can come back and we can like get back to where we can see shows. Yeah. It's going to explode. And, oh, man, everybody's going to be itching so bad and everyone all these artists and musicians have just been sitting at home writing records and songs and you know maybe learning to record themselves and you know i do i agree i think it's going to be a complete explosion there's three people who i've really want to have on that i've had some sort of connections with well so there's uh what's the name boo mitchell i really want to have him on um Matt Rossbang, yeah, I want to have yeah. him on, and um, oh, and then I make Mad Beats. Yeah, those are yeah. like the those are probably the three people that I've that I'm aware of. Yeah, that I want to have on that I haven't had on yet. I'm sure there's thousands of other people that, oh, <laughs> that are yeah. in the music industry that I'm just probably not even aware of. Like yeah. all these people that you've been naming, I I just don't know who they are. It's, oh, it's, dude, yeah, it's not I'll that I don't you- think. I'll send you some of their stuff, and if you ever want to have anybody on, let me know that if it's somebody I know, I'm more than happy to get y'all in touch with each other. Awesome. I think my buddy Lee Mars would would really enjoy this. He's a he's a producer uh, that writes the makes the music a lot with uh, Rudy Reimer, the friend of mine. Who me and Rudy, the first time we met, he was doing a show with Kid Mice Show. We were both on, and this man got up there with the flu. And this was back in the days where. Uh, 
you know, didn't, it wouldn't have seemed like such a crime to get up and do a show while you're sick. Right? <laughs> but, but he gets up there with the flu and just Michael Jordan's it. Like, yeah. just kills it. And the funniest thing was it was at Rail Garden. Have you been to Rail Garden? Yes, I okay, have. Okay, so it was in the ping pong bar area, okay. Rail Garden. And for whatever reason, Rail Garden had put a birthday table right up near the show. And so Rudy is is doing, like, just this like balls to the wall hip hop with the flu six feet from seven or eight older white people who are just like, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, and it was so great. And like, That's I had, hilarious. I had to leave a session that night. Uh, at the, Cause at the time there was a, another engineer. So I left the session to go do this show and then needed to get back so I could finish breakdown and, you know, help the other engineer out. And, uh, and uh, I couldn't leave till like I saw his performance. It was so good. And then we didn't e- even end up linking up with each other because I rushed out as soon as he was done until about uh, maybe six months after that. We hooked up on Twitter and I was like, wait a minute. I know you. I, I did a show <laughs> with you and you killed it. And like he's been one – he's one of my favorite songwriters in the city. Um, and it is really fascinating too to see – like you're talking about within hip hop, like he's gone from, I mean, he's done everything from, you know, trap to more R and B to like hit another guy he works with. Uh, oh, what's his name? Why am I? I'm like just thinking hip hop, and I'm just blanking. Uh, TP produced by TP, yeah. Uh, Taquan. Uh, he uh, he works with. Uh, he just did something that is on one of Gucci Mane's comps uh, of like like So Icy or something like that mm. with the, I can't remember the, the rapper's name that he'd worked with, but he's like starting to kind of come up a little, which is really cool to see. And I'm working off, TP gave me his old laptop when I was setting up my home studio. He had an old 2012 MacBook where the hard drive had crashed and he set me up with that. Um, and there's just so many, so many people in this city, like yeah. of, from all, man, I, the thing that I love so much about Memphis is every time that I think I have seen it all, found everybody doing something, there's somebody else. Yeah. And yeah. I love that. I think it makes for, it keeps it fresh. Yeah. You know? I, that's, that's one thing that I really like want to people to see is how much is out there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, i really hope I get into like the thousands of episodes of this podcast, yeah. but like just being able to find these random folks, which I don't just do music. Like yeah, I, yeah. I've had on like doctors and uh, photographers and stuff like that. So, but you know, eventually I want to have on just like so many musicians because I'm just being selfish. I'm just grabbing all this info. Like, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Victor Sawyer, I had him on and he's, (laughs) Victor's giving me all these names of these famous musicians. I'm like, just nodding, but Mm -hmm. I don't have a clue who they are. But now I can just go back and listen to them and then look these people up. Yeah. Even you were naming all these people, no clue who they are, but I can can look them up and check them out and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the beauty of which, you know, I, by all means, I want my podcast to shine over everybody's, but yeah, yeah. like that's, it's, this is something that needs to happen more often. People, mm-hmm. people just literally just talking, having a conversation like this isn't scripted. I, I didn't say, all right, he needs to answer this, this, and this. Yeah, yeah. People just recording their conversations and yeah. being able to, that other people can, can go back and look at and be like, oh, he mentioned so-and-so and I know that person. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, what's the neon, uh, what'd you say? Uh, the guy who plays the, um, 
Oh, Mono Neon. Mono yeah, Neon. Yeah, yeah, Like, somebody probably knows him that is listening to this, but I don't have a clue who that is. Yeah, and, yeah. And somebody's like, oh, I didn't know You're anybody else treat, listened to Mono, Mono Neon. Mono Neon is cool. Yeah, you, you'll enjoy it. He's like, he has a style that is all his own too, man. Like, just like, n- not just in the way he dresses, but the way that he plays bass. It makes sense when you hear him play bass as to why Prince would have been like, you are good. I want you to. Play All I'm that thinking game. about right now yeah. is Africa Bambata. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know who that is? Uh-uh. Oh man! So you got to look up Africa Bambata. Okay, okay. He, I think he was more of the. Um, I think it was like the funk era, like mm-hmm. when that first started. Like those those guitars that had the piano keys on them. You know yeah, what I'm talking I know about? What you're talking about like guitars. Yeah. yeah. He he dressed all crazy and whatnot. Had like these very flashy dressing and whatnot. But yeah. uh, Africa Bambata. That, That's cool. That yeah. dude was like, um, like God, I can't think of a, a popular song by him. Let me just look something. Well, do it on my phone and share it. But um, yeah, that dude was very like just flashy and yeah. and very funky and different. He would have fit in with like unapologetic. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Africa, yeah, Africa Bambada. Where is that? Let's see. Oh, there it is. But yeah, it's it's really cool when you like find like different people yeah. l- like that because when you have different people, they basically make it they make things like more interesting. Like Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Oh wow, yeah. Dude. Yeah, that was like that funk era when yes. hip hop was hip hop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you can hear just like the vocals, how they had like different stuff on. Uh huh. All the effects and everything like that. See, like what they're wearing, like the headdress and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, I. I, I think it's, I think that's something that I really hope uh, gets captured in music, and people don't lose like the character. Uh, people don't lose that. And you were, as we were talking about making fun of Nashville, like people getting into the industry to to fit a mold and make some money. Like, yes, yeah. Please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, props to anybody that can make money doing this at a time, you know, where for decades now with, you know, with the advent of digital music and streaming and places like Spotify who still are not paying artists well enough, you know, they're billionaires. Um, like all of those things that are happening, um, it, it it is important that, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought, to, to like make sure you're not being cookie cutter. Yeah, like, yeah. Because otherwise, I just don't, to me, I don't see where the value is in doing something that has already been done over and over again before. It's yes. neat. I mean, if you're, if you're an artist who's wanting to make sure that something like Dom Flemons was a really cool guy I got to work with. He's in a band called Carolina Chocolate Drops. And what they Carolina would do, it would take, uh, they would take old, like blues songs, old spirituals. And then they, you know, they also, I believe wrote, wrote many of their own originals, but they would do them in that sound and fashion. And you're documenting 
and and keeping the spirit of a music art form that is not nearly as popular now as it would have been, you know, back then a hundred years ago. You're keeping it alive. That's important. I don't understand why people feel the need to like do the same sound over and over again, unless that's your goal. If you're just trying to document and make sure that the spirit of that music stays alive, then I think that's cool. If you're just trying to ride the coattails of like, you know, you can look at country music in Nashville is really bad for this of, well, we've gotten a hit with this sound. So now let's push all of our artists into sounding like this yeah. since we know we can sell this and package it. And that, you know, that works, but it's kind of like a it's kind of like, you know, running money on horses. It's like eventually that horse is not gonna it's just gonna quit on you, you yeah. know? And and that you cash cow is gonna run out. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, make your money on it, sure, while you can, you know. But it's also just to me that it all kind of comes back to like you know the fact that we live in such a such a strong capitalistic society where if it doesn't have monetary value so many people don't see like why like yeah. what, why what, what's why does this matter you know um but to me it matters cuz somebody took the time to like they cared enough about it to like learn their craft and record record it and you know that's more interesting and entertaining to me than Someone who, you know, took the time to learn somebody else's craft and then, you know, continue to perpetuate that. What is something that you feel like, um, I guess, is missing from from music or or was lost from music? Um, Because somebody like you that's been that's been working in the studio, you've probably seen a lot of things come and go. Yeah. Um. I would love to see, I really, so at Sun, I have to work in a way where usually we cut live. There's not, we can overdub, but there's not like a lot of editing and flying things in like you would in in modern music where like I was working with Pro um, and we would get the chorus and then I just take the chorus and like move it over. Um, And that that was something for me that I've not had as much practice with because I'm usually operating in a way where oh, here comes the chorus, let's get another version, sing it again or sing it all the way through. And I really do think that that way of working live is is special and fun because there's a magic that happens in that moment that I think is really cool, mm-hmm. especially with bands. Uh, in modern studio settings, even this last TV Yellow record and the one before it, it's built from the ground up where, okay, let's get our drums, now let's get off in our bass, Let's get our guitars. Now let's get our vocals. And so you come out away with something where everything's been isolated um, and you get perfect flexibility on your mix because you don't have the bleed of like it's sun. If I cut a band and you want to take your guitar solo out and redo it, like add a different guitar solo, well, that means we've got to lose the room mics because it's already in the rooms. That means we've got to make sure your guitar solo is not bleeding into any of the other mics that I can't take it out of. Um, so, like, we've got to cut live because mm. of the bleed. And it creates for – feels a bit like riding a roller coaster, you know, like that third or fourth take where they've been struggling to get it, and it's like, oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. Come on, just stick the landing. <laughs> you know, it's it, it turns it into something that is – really special and neat yeah. because you're encapsulating a moment. Um, 
And I think that's special. I think more records, I would love to see more records made in that fashion. Um, even Daru, when he comes through to play drums, what he's doing is adding live drums often to hip hop beats, you know, mm. so that you still get the sound of a real drummer. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes it's even him adding drums over another, you know, program drum, and then you have two drums happening, you know, so that you get that sound. Um, and I think that that's, that's cool. I, 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 to, to me, one thing, if you, to say, answer your question more succinctly, um, I would love to see more of a bridge between uh, – there's so much overlap between our garage rock community in Memphis and our hip-hop community. And I think it would be really cool to see more of that, like, that sort of – like, Weirdo has done some shows with Garner Records, the – garage rock record label here in Memphis. And I would love to see, a dream come true for me would be to see Weirdo at Sun with a garage rock band behind him mm. doing what he does, you know, but with a totally different sort of sound. Yeah, um, That's been something I've always wanted to do. And we've talked a little bit about it. It's mostly just like schedules, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and getting the right people in the right room, you know, at the right times. And that's much tougher now because you want to be respectful of everybody's comfort level, yeah. you know, because the studio is a tough place to, I mean, if you're cutting a band, somebody can't sing with their mask on, you know, yeah. so, and I still got to work, they still got to record, um, so, so you, I've really tried to be in tune with everyone's comfort level, and it's made, made it so that projects I would love to be pushing to make happen, I kind of am more waiting to let them come to me and happen on their own time and terms and hopefully here you know by the spring i'd love it if we didn't have to worry about it yeah. anymore i think you're right it's going to be an explosion uh what was the i saw a tweet the other day that was like after the plague came the renaissance you know <laughs> and i mean that, that maybe this is that can be what this is you yeah. know i mean granted there were i think 400 years of darkness before we got <laughs> to the renaissance uh but it's it's gonna come you know and and I think we'll be better off for it because, I mean, think of how much this has recontextualized all of us and put our priorities in, in place, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would love to see more more overlap. I always – we were talking about being a bridge between, you know, different people and communities, and I would love to – that's all I want yeah. is to be somebody who when my time comes and I'm gone or if I ever leave this city um, – I would just love to be thought of as someone who helped bridge gaps yeah. where, there, where there were opportunities that weren't happening. And I would love to be thought of as someone who saw those and made sure that they happened. You yeah. Know? Well, man, it's been great having you on. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Yeah, we've had some yeah. great conversations and just talking about all the stuff from Memphis. Um, is there is there something that you need to – promote like you need to get out there um i mean i know you do music so yeah so you can the, probably the easiest way to find out what i'm doing is on my instagram page and it's instagram.com uh, slash crockett hall it's c-r-o-c-k-e-t-t-h-a-l-l that's probably the easiest way to keep track of whatever i have going on um that's where i usually will update things the most uh with whatever i'm recording or working on um other than that, I'll try to send you some tracks of like the stuff I've been talking about that you know I've been working on. Um, so if you want to link to any of the artists or, or people who I, I mentioned, I, I can send that over to you as well. Okay. Uh, you know, if, if there's anything like that. But 
but yeah, this is this is awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I had such a great time. No doubt. Yeah, we can um, definitely do this again anytime you want Thank to. Thank you for yeah. sure. And I'll get you in touch with if you if when you've got some gaps in your schedule, let me know because uh, I'm sure Lee would enjoy this. Rudy. Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to get you in touch with some other artists that you could talk to about, you know, what it is that they're doing. I make mad beats on there. Uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> I, I don't know. He responds. So Rachel is like my manager. Like she basically yeah. will like contact the people and schedule everything. Yeah. But he, I think he told her that he was just going through some stuff that he like. has been quarantining too. Okay. Like they, they moved their studio. His, his studio, Dirty Socks, was run out of his house. They had two two studios set up in in the bedrooms of the house that they treated and they moved that out to the uh he has like a garage area that yeah. they treated and turned into their tracking space so i know he's quarantining i don't know if you ever do these via zoom but for for somebody like mad he may be able to do that easier okay um than than he would be uh to meet in person right now i'm not sure i i don't know but yeah i i he's a he's a really wealth of information yeah. you know like i i feel like every time i get to interact and work with him i come away with a better understanding of <laughs> who he is yeah. and what he's trying to do for the city and i think to be honest the reason i talk so much about them or have talked so much about them today is I, I think he is, you look at places like Stax, you look at places like Sun, High Records, Garner Records, and what you have is a collective of people who mm-hmm. came together to make something. And nobody else in Memphis is really doing that right now to the degree that he is with Unapologetic, the way that he is building that brand and uh, creating a space for people like, you know, as vast and varied as you know, from weirdo to pro to Aaron James uh, to Kimmy to everything else that he's working on, you know, with with what they're doing, it's it's cool. So yeah, I would, I would love to see him come on and talk to you. Cool. Well, all right. Uh, thank you for everybody tuning in, and see you next time. Thank you so much for having me.